And hello, everyone. It has been a little while since uh, since the last podcast, episode 79. I am still up here in northern Michigan uh, with my family, uh, living the rough life right now uh, off of uh, Lake Bel Air. And uh, I guess this is the upside, downside of working for yourself, where when things are slow, you could stay at home and lament over not a lot of work coming your way, or you could decide, hey, I could either not be working at home or I could not be working up near the lake, which is what we've been doing for July. So right now I'm currently not working up uh, with a lake to refresh myself each day. But in all seriousness, getting an opportunity to spend a lot of time with family that I don't see the rest of the year and uh, getting a break from that Florida uh, stifling heat and humidity and uh, just recharging the batteries, both mentally, spiritually, um, work-wise, and uh, really grateful about all of the work that is coming my way here in the next couple of months, including this weekend, I am flying to the University of Georgia to do some media training with the football team, Go Dogs, and uh, have worked with them a few times already, and uh, we'll be working with them again this weekend, so really excited about that. Uh, and then looking at a really, really busy August, September, and October, uh, Genesee County Food Service, I'm doing a keynote for them uh, in August. I'm working with the Lakeville School District a few times this year, going to Principia College and the Principia School in St. Louis to work with their sports teams. Uh, working with Gear Up to Lead back in Flint, Michigan, we're doing a one-day um, growth mindset workshop with myself and Trevor Reagan. Uh, working with the Crim Foundation on staff development, again, out of Flint, Michigan, a wonderful organization there I'm really excited about, as well as uh, delivering uh, the address for the Creative Mornings in West Palm Beach, the West Palm Beach chapter in September. If you haven't checked out Creative Mornings, there is a Creative Mornings near you. Great organization, global organization. Make sure you check them out. Going to the Link School in September to do some development with them. And it looks like I might be working with the Chicago Cubs Instructional League players and managers again here in September or October. And rejoining up with my friends at Improv Asylum in Boston for a corporate training in August coming up here as well. Excuse me. So a lot of excited things going on. <clears throat> Uh, really grateful for that, and really grateful for you guys sticking around, even though there's been a little bit of a month hi hiatus between between uh, weekly yaps. Today, we are talking about Jordan Spieth, and then Jordan Spieth happened. I had a lot of different topics I wanted to talk about today, but then I got caught watching the British Open today, the final, and I said, I need to talk about this. <clears throat> we need to talk about Spieth. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Before I do that, last a couple reminders is if you listen to the Yap and you like the Yap and you haven't left me a rating or a review yet on iTunes, please do so. That helps uh, other people get exposure to me. And please feel free to share my podcast with others. Thank you for that. And also, if you don't have my book yet, Three Words to Getting Unstuck, uh, Live Yes And, you can find that on Amazon. Uh, come on, you need the book. Go for it. Get that book. All right. Let's talk about Mr. Jordan Spieth. And so uh, I'm a sports fan by nature. I don't play a ton of golf. And by saying I don't play a ton of golf, I haven't played a round of golf in probably 10 years. 
easily 10 years, but I love the game. I love the mental aspect of the game. So uh, worked with a lot of golfers at IMG. I stay in contact with golfers still. I, I do some uh, mental coaching with, with a few of them. Shout out to those of you. You know who you are. Uh, and I have loved following Jordan Spieth, especially his mental approach to the game, because he was so dominant when he was young to get his first two majors. And then experienced, uh, I think for everyone, uh, showing us that he is human and uh, uh, seeing that his mental game seemed to be suffering a little bit and going all the way back to the Masters 15 months ago where he blew a five-shot lead on the back nine and uh, one of the excuse me, most difficult finishes in a major. And here he is, a young guy. How do you move on past that? And I've, I've loved his demeanor. I've loved his attitude. And I still think he's probably one of the mentally toughest players on the tour. And he proved that in a huge way here today at the British Open. And since I'm a performance coach and I talk about mental and leadership skills, I wanted to break down Jordan's performance today because I think and I feel there's so many lessons to learn for life, for athletes, for all of us, no matter what we're doing. I think we can break down a little bit specifically the 13th hole, break down what happened, and then look at how Jordan responded to it. So here's the context. Jordan led the entire tournament, all three rounds. I believe he had a three-shot lead going into the final round today. But going into the uh, 13th hole, he was already, uh, he was his round, he was three over for his round, missed a couple of close putts, uh, kind of inconsistent. So he's three over par going into the 13th and he hits his tee shot so far right that it's about it's about 100 yards right off of the fairway. It's in this hilly kind of really thick brush um, and they find the ball, but he deems it unplayable. So he takes a drop, meaning he takes a penalty stroke, but he can drop the ball in a, a hittable location and continue on. But because he was so far off the course, he actually, to take a drop, he had to go back, which I think was close to another 70 yards, which ended up being where the practice tees were, the driving range, where all of the production vehicles were for TV. And this is going on for about 20, 25 minutes. So he hits the shot over there. 25 minutes later, he hasn't played another shot. His his partner, uh, Matt Kuchar, who he was playing against, who he was tied with at this point, had already played his second shot, put it up on the green, and you could tell at this point Kuchar was going to be leading after this hole. So with Spieth, you're thinking he's done, right? At a minimum, he's probably going to bogey this hole, but there's a good chance it's going to be more, and he's been playing a bad round, so this thing... He's just going to kind of lose it like he did at the Masters, right? That, that seemed to be the writing on the wall. The announcers were talking about how long this was taking. Why isn't he just rehitting from the tee? And through all of this, again, 25 minutes later, he finally hits his third shot because of the penalty stroke. He gets it near the green, but it's still a chip shot away. He's, a, he's able to chip it within about seven feet and then put it in for a bogey, right? So after all of that, this, uh, uh, which could have been a horrendous, right, uh, uh, score on the hole, he only takes a bogey. Kuchar 
gets his par, which puts him in the lead. So now, after leading the entire tournament, Jordan Spieth is now a stroke off, but seems to be, you know, falling back. What does he do on the next hole? And I believe at one point, two years ago when Jordan won two majors and he was playing in his third major, at that point, he had some crazy record that whenever he bogeyed a hole, the next hole was a birdie, which is just crazy. And you think about that from a mental focus standpoint, the ability to rebound mentally and come back and perform. And he was able to do that. But we're going to talk more about that in a minute. So what does he do on the next hole, the 14th hole? He is now a stroke down, plus four for the day. He hits his tee shot on the par three inches away from a hole-in-one. Inches, like a bounce, uh, inches away from a hole-in-one. He taps it in for a birdie. He's now tied for the lead again. The next hole, the 15th hole, he has a 50-foot putt for an eagle, and he puts it in for an eagle. So he went from being a stroke down to now being a stroke up two holes later. And then he finishes the last five holes of the tournament five under par. All right. The first 14, first 13 holes of the tournament, he is plus four. The final five holes, he goes minus five to win the tournament by three strokes. Crazy bananas to have that quick of a turnaround when things seem to be at their worst is when he recovered, responded, and finished at his best. <clears throat> had he not had this not happened, he would have won the tournament, we'd be celebrating him, it'd be great. But this only, I think, further supports how dominant and what an amazing athlete he is, what, a, what an amazing mental performer he is. So I want to break down, as I saw it, just from watching, especially the 13th hole. So what happens? He hits the tee shot far right. He puts his hands on his head in amazement that I can't believe I just did that. He doesn't toss a club. You don't hear any cuss words. But you can tell he's in shock. I can't believe I just did that. Now, in that situation, I think a lot of golfers, I know I would have, if when he were to go up and find his ball, he's probably in such anger, frustration, and shock that he probably just tries to play that ball because he doesn't want to take the penalty stroke. And he just you're so angry, you just want to get to the next shot and do something. <clears throat> but what ended up happening, it was so cool to watch. By the time he found his ball... He had to make the decision, do I try to play this or do I take the penalty stroke? And again, if you're filled with that emotion, that anger, that frustration, you probably just like, hand me the club, I'm playing it, right? I'm going to make something happen. I'm going to play it. He decides to take the penalty stroke. And all along, as they're moving people, they're moving everyone who's trying to get in the way, he's talking to the, the course officials, he's talking to the rules officials, and he's talking through all of his options, and that's what I love about that. The first thing he did, right, is he he allowed himself to not rush. He he sort of took a step back. Instead of rushing emotionally into the next thing, he took a mental step back and rationally allowed himself to respond to the situation instead of react to the situation, right? So he, and then he started what I thought was great. He started talking his 
talking himself through his options with his caddy, with the rules officials, uh, and with the course officials, talking his way through every option. What can I do? Where can I hit it? Where? And that's what took so long. They figured it out. But he talked his way through it. And by talking his way through it, instead of getting caught up in what he had just done, or the circumstances, oh my gosh, I'm going to fall behind, I'm going to choke. Instead of getting caught up in the circumstances, he focused on the details, the options. What can I do? What are my choices? What are my options? And then once he figured out what his options were, he got refocused and he went back into the moment, the next shot. And although the next shot wasn't perfect, it left him in a position to chip up and down to get his bogey, right? He made his decision and moved forward. He left the bad shot behind. And what did he do? He refocused and he rebooted. Now, this is what I think is huge. I think it is because at that point he'd been playing inconsistent and not playing well. I think that was the wake-up call that he probably did an entire mental reboot, from impro- you know, from an improv perspective, you know, my live yes and perspective, he interrupted the routine. His routine, his reality was interrupted so intensely that he sort of did a mental reboot. And that mental reboot got him refocused, right? In the, post, uh, the post-match interview, he says he gives credit to his caddy for staying positive, right? So I think that reboot, talking to his caddy, staying positive, but things going off the rails so far is ended up being the key for him to refocus and then dominate. I mean, absolutely dominate the last five holes of the tournament to go from losing to winning comfortably in five holes under the most intense pressure. That's what we're talking about when it comes to mental performance. What he did in that 25 to 30 minute time span, which most golfers at the top level would have unraveled. He'd done it before. He had unraveled before. But that ability to let the past be in the past, to stay calm, to take a step back, to talk his way through the details, to make a choice and then move forward, to refocus and to reboot, to stay positive. You look at all of these things he did. He didn't just survive that situation. He thrived his way through it. And I think for all of us, right, when I talk about living yes and, it's about handling what is is being given to us what what happens what pops up what you know life happens and then we live based on how we respond to life <clears throat> right we live we don't you know we're not the ones who who gets to call all the shots we get to choose how we are going to live life life happens we respond how we are going to live right so when we yes and so that was a huge yes and for him when he puts his ball a hundred yards off course right he didn't get stuck in the i'm such a loser i'm such an idiot i'm such a bum now i'm screwed now i'm gonna lose this tournament right that would have been the whole no but living in a victim mindset a fixed mindset instead he yes anded the whole thing yes I put my shot 100 yards wide and I'm going to take a penalty stroke and get a drop even further back, 
Yes, and then I'm going to hit the best possible shot I can to, to put me in a successful position. Yes, and, yes, and, yes, and. That's how he responded. And so I think what makes his performance so amazing is not that he breezed through the fourth round and won this tournament going away, is that he hit such an extreme wall, such a huge adversity, and it's how he responded to that, to that adversity. That's what makes this special, the Claret Jug, so impressive for him, is how he responded in the face of that adversity. And that is why I was so impressed with Jordan Spieth. And that's why we had to talk about that today here on the Weekly Yap. So all you athletes out there, all you parents out there, anyone out there who's running into adversity, trying to live and achieve something at the highest level, let today's tournament, let Jordan Spieth's example of how he handled adversity be the blueprint for how we can handle it as well. If you want uh, any further follow-up, any questions, or you want some one-on-one Yes And coaching yourself, please be in touch. Check out my website, liveyesand.com. I'm always on social media at liveyesand, although I've taken a little bit of a break this summer to, uh, to focus on projects. But be in touch. would love to hear from you guys. If you get a chance, leave me a rating or a review on iTunes, and uh, feel free to share this podcast with anyone else. That's it, guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful Yes And day. Sunday nights, we'd sink into our seats right as they dimmed out all the lights. A technicolor world made out of music and machine. It called me to be on.